that alcohol kills more than all those other drugs put together. You know, worldwide, we're looking at alcohol killing someone every 10 seconds. That's what we're dealing with. That's a reality. So when we think about drugs and we and our kind of panic goes off when we hear about drugs like MDMA or ecstasy or cocaine, we really do need to refocus back on alcohol and think about those harms that we're ignoring that we can't necessarily see. You know, that again, they're not necessarily in real time, but we also need to acknowledge these risk-taking behaviours and that it's not funny if someone doesn't make it home and it's not funny if someone has unprotected sex or goes off with a man who they don't know or a woman who they don't know or don't know how they're getting home. So the risk factors are, are huge. I founded the BeWell Collective, a not-for-profit organisation that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to the fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss throughout our series are relevant to whatever industry that you work in or any issues that you might be facing. Because as a collective, together, we are stronger. Welcome to today's podcast of Live Well, Be Well. And I am thrilled to bring you this episode today, which focuses all around the expertise, guidance and education surrounding alcohol. Now, a few weeks ago, I recorded a episode called Navigating Sobriety with Millie Gooch. And it was about her personal experiences about becoming sober and the reasons behind it. And I have to say, I was overwhelmed in a good way, let me say, with everybody who sent me messages about how much that podcast episode really helped them. And as many of you know, Live Well, Be Well works with also experts to help guide you and support you to making informed decisions around your health. Now, I thought because so many of you were touched and found the Millie Gooch episode really helpful, I wanted to speak to an expert around alcohol to give you that additional support that you might need. Alcohol affects us physically and mentally as well as socially and within the pandemic alcohol has increased in alcohol sales and how much we drink in the advertising um, more than many people may realize and it's also it does have a huge fundamental effect on how we're feeling and behaving emotionally so today i am absolutely thrilled to bring in nick hickmont he is the early intervention lead with we are with you which is a national charity which works around the education of drugs and alcohol in the UK and he can be here today to help deliver all the information and knowledge that you guys need to help support you with your daily or non-daily drinking habits may I say um, all surrounding the conversation with alcohol. Hi Nick, welcome to Live Well Be Well, how are you today? Hi Sarah, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I mean, this is a really interesting topic. It's following on from a Millie Gooch episode that I recorded a few weeks ago called Navigating Sobriety and the amount of people that wanted to know more about how they can improve their relationship with alcohol or do they actually have a problem with alcohol. And there's a lot of conversation around it and a lot of people reached out. So I thought, how fantastic to get an expert who talks about this day in, day out, such as yourself. Nick, could you give my listeners a bit of background about what you do, who you are, and the fantastic charity that you work for, which is We Are With You? 
Yeah, hi Sarah. Um, so my name is Nick Hickmott. I'm the early intervention lead uh, for We Are With You, which is um, a national charity which works around drugs, alcohol and mental health across the UK. I'm based in Kent and I work in the young persons team delivering drug education sessions in schools and colleges and universities. And um, yeah, I've been in this role for about 10 years now. So yeah, I don't like calling myself an expert, but I talk about alcohol a lot and um, I talk to young people and young adults about it a lot. So hopefully we can fill in some of the gaps that you've highlighted. Definitely. Well, I am going to absolutely call you an expert because I think that is very aligned with 10 years of working in this area. Um, So firstly, let's just talk about alcohol. What is alcohol when we break it down, really? So I think a good place to start and somewhere which I really like to start when talking about this is that alcohol is a drug. And we don't really think of alcohol as being a drug in the UK. It's very much dumbed down. We don't like the word. There's lots of stigma and judgment attached to drugs in the UK. And um, we'll come on to some of that today, I'm sure. But essentially, it's a drug. And a drug is something which changes the way that you think or feel. But alcohol is a kind of drink which contains ethanol. Um, and that's a type of alcohol which is produced by a fermentation of like grains, fruits or other sources of sugar, which is really key with you being a nutritionist, of course. Mm-hmm. So sugar is a key factor here. But ethanol is a particularly nasty chemical, which, you know, in its purest form, you could run a car. Not nowadays, because most of them are electric, but you could run a car or a tractor or something on ethanol. So that's the kind of chemical that we're dealing with. Wow. And what kind of effects does this have on our body? So the main way that alcohol works is it it disrupts the careful balance of chemicals in our brain. So we've got two key neurotransmitters that alcohol affects, which are glutamate and GABA. And to put it simply, glutamate turns the brain on and GABA turns it off. So when you start drinking, alcohol turns on a GABA system and it makes you feel calm and relaxed. But as you drink more, much more GABA means that parts of the brain start switching off and that's where some of the issues can can kind of occur where glutamate gets blocked and when you put the two together you can have things like blackout but things start to shut down and they start to stop working um and then we have all these other side effects which which alcohol has on our bodies and our brains and uh, as well which again i'm sure we'll cover that's really interesting actually because i'm now going back to biochemistry days in my head and thinking of glutamate and GABA and GABA is is known as kind of an anti-anxiety I would say neurotransmitter in that way that you can use and it can actually help you feel very calm and that's very interesting that that's linked to alcohol well ethanol we say because when you do start to drink in the beginning when you're kind of stressed and you reach for that glass of wine or that beer or whatever that you're choice of alcoholic beverage is you do feel relaxed don't you immediately and I think that's that's the really interesting conversation around alcohol is that it's used as a coping mechanism because it's obviously increasing GABA but then it can be very counterproductive at the same time that's right yeah so we'd we'd class if we think about drugs um we normally think of drugs as stimulants depressants and hallucinogens to put it really simply there's there's lots of different caveats to the drug conversation but alcohol would sit in a depressant place which means that essentially it slows us down so drugs like caffeine uh, cocaine crystal meth they'd speed us up they'd increase the heart rate so uh, but with alcohol they're slowing us down so they're slowing down the central nervous system so they're a depressant which doesn't necessarily mean that they'll make us depressed all drugs that are depressant don't don't it doesn't mean it will make us depressed what it means is that it will slow us down and it will depress the central nervous system 
Okay, so that's really interesting that you said that alcohol is linked with a pharmacological process of it being more of a depressant than a stimulant. Is there more drinks that make you feel more depressed than others? Because I think there's always been that conversation that gin can make you feel quite depressed. And is that just, is that false? Or is that, is there some truth behind this? So I think you can find studies which would support either kind of version of events with that but in the main it's not actually true so what we tend to do is link types of alcohol to different experiences so in the same way that you might have had a really bad experience drinking uh, southern comfort when you were 15 and you drunk a load of southern comfort and now you can't touch it since so that would then be a drink that you dislike or is a bad drink for you but the gin stuff really comes from the historic side of things so um, if we go back many centuries there was lots of gin use in the uk and it was linked to um, poverty because gin was actually a really 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 cheap spirit so it was one of the cheapest and strongest alcoholic spirits that, that you could get your hands on. And as a result, lots of people drunk gin and that kind of gave it the nickname of mother's ruin because it decimated families. And it was alongside all this poverty, all these, all these unfortunate events that were going on at the time. And so it's really a, a bit of a narrative that comes from that, but we also have things like, you know, there's associations with Stella Artois um, around it, you know, making people fight or, or domestic violence, domestic abuse, um, real, real significant issues. People say, oh, I can't drink vodka because I get really angry. But it's actually more about the context in which we drink those drinks and how we're feeling at the time. So it's about us as individuals, how our mental health is, how our physical health is, how's that day gone versus often the ABV or the percentage of alcohol, how many units are in it, how, how quickly we're getting drunk and what else is going on for us that day. But it's useful for people to put things in boxes and nice and neatly and say, actually, I shouldn't drink or I can't drink vodka you know, I'll be fine on something else or I can't drink gin. It makes me really sad. Well, actually, you know, what alcohol does is it exacerbates our, our initial feelings. So me and you are both in quite a good mood now. Um, you know, we're happy to see each other. We've both been looking forward to this. So if we got stuck into some alcohol, which um, for, for the listeners, we're absolutely not going to do, but if we did, <laughs> it would probably just get more raucous and more fun and more giggly and all the rest of it. But if I was having a particularly bad day, then you might be getting more fun and happier and giggly and all the rest of it. And I might actually start saying, actually, Sarah, you know, can we talk? And then I might be, as people say, wearing my heart on my sleeve or divulging things that I wouldn't normally divulge. Mm. So you said at the beginning that alcohol, um, you know, it relaxes us and it relaxes the way we, we kind of do things and the way we operate. And I think a really good word to describe alcohol is that it's a disinhibitor. So our, our barriers kind of come down. So it might have been useful for this podcast if we were feeling a bit nervous. You know, that whole Dutch courage thing, it disinhibits our emotions. It, it makes us do things that we wouldn't normally do. And that could be useful in some aspects of life. But in most cases, it would encourage us to take more risks and do things that we wouldn't normally do if we weren't under the influence. That's really interesting because I think nerves can play a huge part in drinking and actually is that the most positive time to be having a drink and it's interesting when you talk about the context of where you're drinking because especially going back to my early days we've all had the times when we first tried alcohol when it's we've obviously drunk too much we've learned our limits of what we can drink um and I definitely definitely resonate a certain spirit with that that I've never probably touched since but in terms of 
getting past that phase and growing up and, and going into your adulthood, what is the difference for so many people to understand is what's the difference between moderate drinking and heavy drinking? Because I still think there's a huge confusion that alcohol dependency or the term alcoholic feels so far away from so many people to even resonate with that term. But actually, are they heavy drinkers? And I think that's a really important topic of conversation to, to allow people to start understanding their own drinking habits. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. The difference between moderate and, like you say, heavy or um, and whether or not we could be a heavy drinker and whether or not that's problematic for us as well. So mm. it's really subjective, the the way that we look at this stuff. And I think it really roots down to um, what I alluded to at the start, which is that there's a lot of stigma in the UK around drugs generally. And we can link that to alcohol. So even though societally we're really pro alcohol it's it's everywhere we endorse it in our very nature from cradle to grave you know someone's born um we all kind of celebrate by opening the champagne or we have baby showers where everyone drinks apart from you know the the lady who's pregnant (laughs) because that'd be damaging but then we go right through our life cycle and right at the end we have a wake and the way that we sign off certainly in the uk is to be getting really drunk So it's really heavily ingrained. But the difference between the two, like I say, is subjective because if we think about what our units are, so 14 units a week is kind of recommended, then is that moderate or is that not? So 14 units is like six beers or six medium glasses of wine. Which is 175 or 125? Yeah, so one... Now, I believe, hold on, let me get this right. I think it's 175. Mm-hmm. But, the, but then if you're looking at um, that and where you're drinking, then we start to throw in all these different anomalies. So, for example, that, that's 175 in a pub. But if we're pouring drinks at home, we're, we're free pouring. We've also, we also like to show our generosity with drinks. So, you know, if I'm pouring you a drink, I might, I wouldn't want to be stingy. You know, I wouldn't. Mm. And 175 might actually start looking that, like it's not a lot. So if we equate it to beers, six beers a week, then I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening to this going, okay, six beers a week is the recommendation. And is that moderate? Because actually what we know about alcohol is that to do ourselves no harm around alcohol means no alcohol. Mm-hmm. And absolutely any amount of alcohol at all is doing us harm, whether mm-hmm. we can see it or not. And that's one of the key issues here is that we don't see it like we would perhaps with other drugs or other risk-taking behaviours where we get an immediate indicator that actually, you know, this has been harmful for us. We take a, we might take a puff on a cigarette when we don't smoke and it would make us cough or we'd feel maybe wheezy in our throat. And alcohol, you know, it, it sounds over over dramatic, but it's absolutely not so that alcohol is killing us slowly and that that's an invisible um source uh, of illness or an invisible danger that we just cannot see and often we won't see for decades later so any amount um, can be harmful so the difference between moderate and and heavy really would depend on us our tolerance and again we, we need to think holistically how we are in every other part of our life at the moment what other factors will make that either a moderate amount to drink or not and there's and there's lots of different facets to that that's really interesting. And I think that is definitely a society aspect of drinking as well, because a lot of people might think that they are drinking more than they usually would because it's socially accepted and it's not looked upon. And I actually think, I mean, it depends on who you, what 
society group you're hanging around but sometimes when you're not drinking that can be picked up more than if you're drinking a lot and it feels less socially acceptable sometimes to not drink in situations like there's something wrong with you of why you're not drinking you know can you talk a little bit about the change in trends with alcohol and why we do might have the stigma that if you don't drink there's something wrong with you yeah I think um so if we go back to those gin days at that point, people were very much being introduced to um, alcohol as, a, as an alternative to water, you know. And, and if you go back to medieval times, we were actually drinking really low percentage beer instead of water because it had gone through a, a cleaning process, for want of a better word. So it had been filtered and, the, and it was safer to drink than the water. So, mm-hmm. that, so that's really different to what we've got now because alcohol is big, big business you know and and the money is made out of heavy drinkers so when we think about um, alcohol advertising i think this is really really key that we've got if even if you're not a drinker and you walk into your local town center now you'll be walking past bus stops billboards with just advertising alcohol and the very nature of um advertising as you'll know more than most sarah is that mm. is that it's it's to sell it to us so it's always positive it's always beautiful it's always shiny and it's always wholesome for want of a better word um we're we're linking it into sports so right from when our kind of five six seven year olds start watching sporting events they're seeing billboards flashing up you know almost like in a gambling nature we've got bright colors flashing up and they're absorbing messages around these brands so we do something that we are with you where we go in and we talk to year sixes about alcohol and we show them little tiny bits of um of beer labeling so we might show them the seal for carling label we might show them the curly bit that's around a stellar artois logo and they can recognize it and they can tell us what those beers are from these tiny little snippets and that's because mm-hmm. of exposure it's about the same level that mcdonald's would spend so when you think about how kids spot the golden arches and then the similar connotations between salt and fat content and how bad that is for you so we've got all this money kind of going in and going back to your to your point about you know why is it seen as abnormal not to be drinking it is this normalization it is this cradle to grave mentality that we have where actually there are certain times when there is an expectation to drink and i think that really hits home in adolescence and our teenage years and the young people who i speak to if you're talking about a 15th birthday party you know if there's not alcohol um there then it's almost what's the point of having a party at all it's an association which is so strong that even as parents, we say, well, you know, we'll get you four and you take those and, you know, just be sensible. We're, we're not doing it in the right way. And in the UK, we have a culture of drinking to excess as well. Mm. And so it just becomes a bit of a rite of passage, really, a bit of a kind of this is what it means to be an adolescent, that you have to get drunk and you have to have these experiences and almost that you have to have a negative experience. And then as society, we will play that down as well. So if I came onto the podcast and said to you, oh, Sarah, you know, um, do you go easy on me today. I'm feeling a bit rough. I had a night out with the guys last night. You'd presume that I was talking about alcohol and you'd say, oh, don't worry. You know, we've all been there. But mm. if I said that about another drug, then it would be heavily frowned upon. It would be demonized. And not just because of the legality, because it's not normalized. So it has different stigma attached. So we have this positive reinforcement of well, you know, he's a man now, he's allowed to drink, he's 16, you know, when I was 15, I was doing all this. And what we don't have is the education alongside that. 
So we mm. don't have conversations like this where we really talk about how the alcohol industry effectively regulates itself um, and, and, you know, is, is a key part in what policies are passed around it. So it's, it's a really complicated picture. But if we think about Europe, the UK has one of the highest levels of harm um, and we're the only ones who don't have any bans on alcohol advertising at all across Europe. Do we not have any watershed bans? Because I know that they've started doing that now in, with the food side of things, with fast foods and regulations. And for the first time, I think all nutritionists are thrilled that there's some action being taken. But when you reference the sports grounds, you know, fast food is the same. You look at these athletes who actually are meant to be taking care of their bodies and probably don't drink to excess and eat McDonald's every single day. Um but this is what is being advertised and this is the culture that we are being brought up and we're being bombarded with constant images that is effectively long-term destroying our health, whether it's eating fast food all the time or drinking to excess. This is the images that we're shown. So how does it, so I guess the question that I want to ask is within the drinking culture, and because I don't want to completely demonize alcohol as well, because I know that a lot of people do get some enjoyment from it, but how can we make it more positive for our health and how we're drinking? How can we kind of take on certain cultures that have seemed to got it right within the UK? Yeah, I think, um, I, and I'm the same. I don't want to de- demonize alcohol um, either. It's it's hard when you start presenting the facts to talk positively about yeah. this drug. That's, that's yeah. the reality of it. And, you know, the easiest way to make a problem go away is to pretend it doesn't exist. And that's kind of what we've been doing with alcohol. But as a result, what we're seeing is more and more people coming into treatment for alcohol. We're seeing more and more people with issues with their liver as our science and our medicine gets better and better as well. So we, we need to act. And I think what's really key is um, is around education and starting mm. early and talking to young people um, about the harms of, of alcohol. And we have seen an improvement in that. Mm. If we relate it to something like um, cigarettes, we did really good bits of work. And I say we as in the royal we, as in, um, you know, motions and policies were passed in Parliament, which meant that we really hammered home the the effects of smoking on young people. We really kind of went to town on cancer. We looked at advertising. We put cigarettes in plain packages or we put warnings on them and we put them out of the sight of young kids. We took them off F1 cars. We, we took them off football shirts. And what's happened as a result is we've massively reduced the amount of young people who want to smoke because they understand the connotations that go with that. Now, with alcohol, what's really missing is that key link between some of the things we're talking about today in terms of the harms of alcohol and how it absolutely will attack our bodies and affect us and poison us and and the reality and what people are seeing. And, And the problem is, is that as a society, we run this narrative around it, that it's absolutely okay, that it is a part and parcel of going out for a meal. You know, if the if we're going out to the pub, if it's our birthday, if we've had a good day, if we've had a bad day, you know, that all of these things equal that we should be providing the alcohol, the alcohol industry with, with more finance and that this is a key part of that of that setup, essentially. 
I think that's, a, do you know what, any change that comes within our society has to go through policy and it just takes so long. And I think any expert that I speak to, it's like banging your head against the wall. So I think these kind of podcasts, what you do as a charity, all the education that you bring is is fundamental because if people have that knowledge, then it's up to them to implement it um, and make their own informed decisions. And I think actually, you know, just from our short conversation so far there's so many things that people probably aren't aware of and I really want to get on a little bit more into like the health side of things um around actually how alcohol does impact us so you know I looked at a few statistics and I always love a statistic and in England so I guess this is you know this isn't this is pre-pandemic you know there was 1.2 million hospital emissions in 2019 related to alcohol consumption and when you look at the effects that alcohol does on your body it's quite it's quite extreme there's 60 different medical conditions that it's associated with um and according to the national institute of alcohol abuse and alcoholism which sounds quite dramatic in the united states there were 17.6 million people so that's one in every 12 adults that had abused alcohol or alcohol dependent and that that really shocked me because one in 12 is that's a large number um and I think many people probably wouldn't associate themselves with that so can we talk about you know what alcohol is linked to you know I know it's linked to a lot of people think liver straight away but can you give a few other medical conditions that alcohol can affect yeah absolutely so Alcohol is the only drug which attacks every part of our body. So it can mm. literally, you know, it can affect our circulation. So with really problematic use, we see um, lack of blood circulation, which can lose, lead to losing fingers and toes. It affects our mental health. It affects all our main organs. So alcohol is full of sugar and it's full of fat. And we see that in normally in people's beer bellies. So what we see is deposits of fat, which cover our main organs, which is a real issue. The way that alcohol is absorbed is um, straight into our blood. So it goes through. We, we obviously drink it. Um, other ways don't work. So don't consider putting it in your eyes or um, injecting oh, wow. it or anything crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a real issue with that with people. Um, it, it was shown in a film about a decade ago and that people were putting shots in their eyes. It's an absolutely terrible idea. That must really burn. Yeah, so they use alcohol to do operations on the eye. So oh, they use, wow. they use kind of something which is twenty percent proof, which will help kind of remove the retina and mean that they can operate on eyes. And when you think that vodka's forty percent, then we're using so double. So there was lots and lots of issues around that, but um, mm. we don't see it so much anymore. So I, I won't kind of pause on that. But yeah, so we've got all of our main organs. So the main one, like you said, is the is the liver. So the first stage of liver disease would be fatty liver. So that's where kind of the liver makes fat from the calories and alcohol and it stores it in the cells. And so this kind of risk of developing fatty liver, because your liver's essentially like a recycling unit for your body. Mm -hmm. When you're drinking alcohol, it's working super, super hard to try and process that. It puts it under enormous stress as well as doing all its daily jobs. So these fatty cells can, um, can build up. They can be reversed though. If we're drinking moderately, going back to your original points, if we're, if we're taking time off, then our, our, our liver's really clever and it can recondition itself and it can help itself. But it's important to say that if we are drinking heavily or we're drinking problematically, that it doesn't have time to recuperate like that. Um, 
cirrhosis of the liver is really serious damage to the liver. So that's like scarring or the, probably the easiest way to think of it is um, as, as pickle in your liver. That's where that saying comes from, oh, that wow. it becomes pickled. So over kind of years and years and years, alcohol kind of makes the liver solid and hard and changes the colour of it. So it should be kind of like a nice steak colour and nice and soft. Um, but what happens is it makes it hard so the blood can't flow through it um, and blood is displaced from it. So so it kind of scars the liver and it's a bit like the liver is kind of chucking the blood out of it or being vomiting its blood out, to put it oh. in, a, in a particularly horrific way. Well, um, that's enough to put anyone off drinking alcohol. <laughs> that's right, isn't it? <laughs> But what happens there is it leads up to the heart. And, and, and then when the liver stops to process, then we start to affect the heart as well. And liver cancers, so alcohol is obviously high in sugar, high in fat. So we're increasing the chance of cancer right through the body. But liver cancer is a, mm. is a big one. And cardiovascular as well, because I guess if you're in your adipose tissue, which is around your stomach, that's the biggest health concern for anyone. So any nutritionist or dietitian that would see somebody and would assess them. If you're a pear shape, so you're carrying more weight on the bottom half of you, normally where women carry it, um, is less of a health risk than if you're carrying it around your abdomen. And I think that's a really big thing that you, you do resonate a lot with heavy beer drinkers. Um, yeah. is that heavy weight gain around your stomach. And I think that's something to really, really be aware of. Um, and it might not happen when you're younger, but as you're getting older, that is one of the key aspects where alcohol will affect you. But, you know, there's also a huge link towards two things that I really want to talk to you about. One is about nutrition, which I think probably where my caveat of, of expertise will come in to that it does stop so many of your key nutrients being absorbed. And you're very much aware of this that anybody who is an alcoholic and that sounds a very um kind of extreme end of what we're talking about but somebody that is very alcohol dependent when they are admitted to hospital the first thing we would do is put them on a thiamine drip which is a b1 because alcohol does stop the absorption of b vitamins especially b1 thiamine and these are really important for all your nerves and your nervous system and that's why you can get tremors and shakes so i think it's a really important thing that even if you're not on that extreme end you can see the effects of how it can stop you from absorbing your nutrients and all that delicious food that you might be cooking a lot of people like to have lots of alcohol when they're eating it's just really important to be aware that you know, excess drinking all the time can start to cause certain nutrient deficiencies, um, which is something that we probably don't really resonate with. And I certainly, even as a nutritionist, having a glass of wine, it's not the first thing I think about. Um, mm. But it's also, you know, this whole other section of alcohol where it does stop certain nutrients. It does carry a lot of calories. And I don't normally talk about calories a lot, but it's the energy that you're intaking and if you're drinking a lot in the meal, research shows that you actually do tend to eat a lot more as well. So you would eat a lot more and drink a lot more, which ends up having more of an energy intake than energy outtake. So that's why there's a huge association there with weight gain as well. And is that something that you talk a lot about when you go into schools and talking about the understanding of, you know, alcohol alongside nutrition and weight gain and mental health and these kind of things as well? Yeah, it's that that's I mean, really interesting stuff there, Sarah, and um certainly some bits which I'll be taking away. I think when we're talking to young people, um, especially but you know, adults as well, you have to make it connect on their level and we are really preoccupied with 
um, health and fitness. You know, I, I, this generation of young people coming through, they they want to look good. Again, we could talk about advertising all day, couldn't we? Yeah. And, you know, body perception, body image, and all of that kind of stuff. So that's a really good in for us to start talking about. And um, yeah, we have to be wary about talking about uh, calories, but often um, for for young for young teenagers, it's a good way of of discussing something which isn't normally brought up so it's not something which is associated but it can also have a, a detrimental effect as in people will say well i really like alcohol so i might eat less um and and then kind of save room if you like for the alcohol which is obviously a really dangerous um, there's actually a go. term coined for that now it's called drunkorexia which is quite a new term but it's basically if um and i would say this is more pre-covid because in the last year no one's no one's been going out to parties um but and it can happen a lot more in women and it's seen a lot more in women um but normally you will restrict your energy intakes the amount of food you're eating in the day and save up for that to be compensated by drinking in the evening which is really worrying because one, you will be then be at much more of a risk of a nutrient deficiency because you're not um, intaking the calories that you need to thrive. Um, and also then what you'll be doing is having a high intake of just liquid alcohol, which we know from all of the conversations is really detrimental. And another factor which alcohol does do, which I think is really important just to, to pop in there, is how much it affects your digestion and your stomach and I think there's a huge understanding now between the gut and the brain axes and actually how important our gut is for our overall health and well-being and a lot of people are quite conscious of this but at the same time alcohol is, is one of the worst things that we can have for our gut health and we can see it a lot of people that suffer with IBS of just how impactful alcohol is and if anyone who's listened to this suffers with any kind of IBS or IBD they'll be very aware of how much alcohol affects their stomachs because it, what it does do is it causes damaging to our organs involving in the digestion process um, and it then obviously restricts you absorbing other nutrients as well so there's a huge even people that aren't extreme drinkers it will have a role to play in your day-to-day -day health and because we know that our neurotransmitters such as serotonin and dopamine are made in our gut if this is being affected, then this is going to also affect our mental health. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit about how alcohol also really impacts our mental health, because there is a huge association with depression and your alcohol intake. Would you be able to give our listeners a bit of an understanding about how alcohol does affect our mental health? Yeah, it's, um, they're really good points that you make there about um, IBS and, and the stomach and how everything is interconnected. And again, I think that's something that's really important that we're talking to, you know, if you're listening to this and you're going to talk to a friend and they've been saying, you know, oh, I've got bad stuff. I think we all know someone who's kind of like, oh, I ate this and I've got bad stomach. And often those links aren't there, are they, to alcohol? And I go back to the kind of, the ingrained nature of alcohol that, you know, that that's not something that we stop. And actually it can be really worth looking at your uh, body health overall and at your mental health and, and just saying, what would happen if I do have some time away from alcohol and how, and, and, you know, really kind of having a notice as to how that affects us and how, whether or not we see improvements um, certainly in the young people and adults who I talk to, you see big improvements if you're interrupting what is a regular intake of alcohol. 
and of course like you say absolutely um affects our mental health and and that's another reason why why people drink right so they they like the relaxation they like the euphoria they you know so many of our positives around mental health are in socialization that's why covid has been such a hammer blow hasn't it in the in terms of us having to literally um, and metaphorically isolate mm-hmm. um but obviously alcohol does affect serotonin and it does affect dopamine as well which are our feel-good feelings dopamine's really key as well in terms of um in terms of repetitive nature and what we might start talking about addiction which again is it feels like a loaded word in this conversation when we're talking about alcohol and you know we know that the people talking to this will almost certainly be recreational drinkers they'll drink for a bit of fun and socialize and that kind of thing but our mental health is one of the key bits where we can start to see some issues such as drowsiness, you know, blackouts. If people are drinking to 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 levels which might be concerning, then we need to start thinking about our mental health and thinking about how that impacts. Um, there's also the issues in terms of a lot of us are medicated for mental health so that it's really common now for for people to be taking some medication as a mood enhancer and thinking about how alcohol could potentially interact like that but if we're staying up later if we're not eating right if we're not sleeping right if we start thinking about all these things then of course they impact our mental health but it is having a sensible conversation about it and it is having a conversation which is which is in tune with you as an individual, because in terms of our bodies and how we cope and how alcohol affects us and manifests, we're, we're all completely different. Having your own understanding of mental health is really important because first of all, it can be quite a scary conversation to think, cool, what is my mental health? And there has been for such a long time stigma associated to that. And you and I both work for mental health charities and you know we both really understand the importance around talking about your mental health but I think even navigating your own mental health is so confusing understanding Mm. if it's anxiety if it's depression or if you're maybe overthinking or you're not overthinking it you know and alcohol is a coping mechanism for so many people and it has been you know as you said it's accepted as a norm so I think if you go from a breakup to a relationship your friends or your parents might be like, come and have a drink. It's fine. What drink can we give you? Or, you know, as you said, you, you, you pass something and you get toasted with some champagne. So it's a socially accepted norm. So if you are struggling with your mental health, a really easy go-to is alcohol. And if you have got to that phase where you are seeking more support from your GP and you are on antidepressants or certain medications, how does that affect your antidepressants? What is that going to, is alcohol going to make that sensation more intense like how would it infect with your antidepressants if you're if you're on them yeah you're 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 right sarah it's it's really confusing isn't it and what we've Mm. got is we've got a really mental health literate um generation who are coming through they're allowed now like you said um just to rewind a touch you said um that the stigma has been dropped around mental health. We're allowed to mm. say it, but that doesn't mean that we understand it, does it? So when no. we think about how alcohol is linked to our own anxiety um, or even how it's not, how my anxiety manifests, you know, coming on and talking to you, you know, it would be strange if I wasn't anxious at all, mm. but that's manageable. When alcohol, when anxiety becomes unmanageable, alcohol can really help with that. 
we, we know that it can work as a short term fix. So then we start thinking about dependency. If we look at depression, you know, regular alcohol use, as you've already said, affects your serotonin system, which, mm-hmm. you know, so right from your stomach all the way through to your brain, it's affecting that. It's changing the neurochemical balance in our brains, and it could make it more likely that you'd have low mood. But we also know that alcohol is used for, you know, ADHD. Lots of adults, particularly um, my age, the grand old age of kind of 41 now, lots of people weren't diagnosed with ADHD like a lot of our adolescents are now. So we'd have people with some impulsivity issues, maybe hyperactivism, easy for you to say. Um, (laughs) but, But they might be using alcohol to cope with that post-traumatic stress disorder absolutely Mm. alcohol is Mm. totally linked to that ocd you've already mentioned bulimia and eating disorders self-harm bipolar we've got all of these issues where actually alcohol would be a legal go-to of a drug which we could use to self-medicate with this and obviously what we don't want is for people to be self-medicated we do want them to be going to the gp and seeking proper medical advice around this which is where more than likely if they've tried social prescribing methods if they've tried kind of exercise going outdoors you know all the normal stuff then they may well be prescribed an antidepressant so it really depends on what antidepressant it is there's a really good website called headmeds which is uh, head h-e-a-d meds m-e-d-s and that what that does is that would give you lots of different interlinking issues around those medications as well as people's testimonies but it's really important that we check the medications and talk to our gp about how they're interacting with alcohol or how they might potentially interact but it basically falls into two categories most people would be prescribed an antidepressant which would work okay with small amounts of alcohol and if you were to read through the warnings it would say keep to that word again Sarah those moderate levels around it and if you did that then it should be okay but what we find with um heavy use of alcohol is that actually it comes back to our liver and the way that our liver processes that medication and if we're drinking lots of alcohol again it can become too busy for want of a better explanation and it can stop our liver from processing or absorbing that medication in the way that it should so it might make it ineffective for that for that period of time that you're drinking now if that's just one night that might not have much of an effect at all you might not notice it but if it was um something like a stag do or a hen weekend or Mm. actually something like lockdown in a pandemic where you were drinking way more regularly and maybe you're drinking more because you're not feeling great anyway then what that could do is kind of put a break in that medication which may make it less effective now if we look at more um heightened kind of issues around depression and we think about anti-anxiety drugs such as Xanax or or fluxetine or Prozac then drinking alcohol would be really really dangerous so Mm. where we introduce drugs like benzodiazepines then we are much more likely to have that shutdown that we spoke about earlier blackouts and lots of lots of problematic issues and at worst you know coma and death from those blackouts so that's a rough kind of overview of the two different kinds of antidepressants um that might be prescribed but the best thing to do is to be really really cautious not to leave it until we're going out for the evening and then we just go do you know what like it'll probably be all right because again to hark back to our earlier conversation alcohol being a disinhibitor we're likely to go out maybe start with one or two drugs drugs one or two drinks and then 
and then our our kind of warning signs will drop we'll be disinhibited we'll go well actually now i've started you know and then we become way more laissez-faire about it we might drink 10 or 12 drinks and then then we're kind of in trouble with it which is the issue whether you're on antidepressants or not or whether you're Mm. feeling great or rubbish you know how many times have we heard people going out for one and ending up you know binge drinking or getting on it all night and then doing Mm. things that they wouldn't normally do so perhaps hooking up with someone who they never would if they were sober or trying a different drug we know people are more likely to experiment with different drugs when they're when they're already drunk which increases the danger of those drugs on their own but alcohol kills more than all those other drugs put together you know worldwide we're looking at alcohol killing someone every 10 seconds that's what we're dealing with that's a reality so when we think about drugs and we and our kind of panic goes off when we hear about drugs like MDMA or ecstasy or cocaine, we really do need to refocus back on alcohol and think about those harms that we're ignoring that we can't necessarily see, you know, that again, they're not necessarily in real time, but we also need to acknowledge these risk-taking behaviours and that it's not funny if someone doesn't make it home and it's not funny if someone has unprotected sex or goes off with a man who they don't know or a woman who they don't know or Mm. don't know how they're getting home. So the risk factors are are huge. That stat's really shocked me every 10 seconds. And I think it's the same with mental health, you know, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not damaging. Um, and it's the same with alcohol, just because you maybe can't see somebody having a destructive behavior towards something for themselves doesn't mean it's not happening. And I think what I really want people to get from this podcast is what what can they do in those times where maybe they are struggling and a coping mechanism is a go to of I've come in, I've had a really stressful day or I don't know, it could be any scenario. You could be studying, you could be shooting, you could have kids and you feel overwhelmed from homeschooling. You could be worried about your job. There's so many things at the moment. The list is endless about what people are struggling with. And a go-to is, for them, their drink. You know, what coping mechanisms would you give to people where they can at that moment make a snapshot decision to say, I'm going to do this instead of have a drink? I think... um... Yeah, and, and that's absolutely the takeaway, isn't it? What what can people do differently? And I think it's about knowing your triggers. So at the moment, you know, if, if we're talking about problematic use, it might just be that having dinner is a trigger, that having dinner means that you are opening a glass of wine or even cooking dinner, or it might be a Friday night or a weekend where actually Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, I'm a professional, so I don't drink at this time of the week, but on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, I really go for it. So looking at those triggers and looking at what we can do differently. But the first thing is really acknowledging those and thinking when I feel like this or at this time of day, or when I meet this person, this equals alcohol. So it's thinking about us as an individual our mood what's going on for us that day where have we been what else is happening you know in our wider relationships um it's also the setting so at the moment we're at home a lot so it might be thinking more about the timing in that environment but the environment does play a really key role in it and then putting in some different measures so that we can think about kind of moving past that trigger without drinking so exercise is a great one you know if we if it's it's a lot of the overlaps that we'd have with mental health but just going for a walk considering an alternative so considering a substitute um it might be that people don't want to stop 
drinking altogether. But then we can also do things as well. We can think about what measures we're using. So maybe we do start thinking, okay, let's keep within our safe units and see what that looks like. Let's think about alcohol-free days. So we know that we're not going to we're not meant to save all our units up we're not meant to kind of clog them all together and then have them in one night Mm. but actually if we can have alcohol free days that might be really positive treating alcohol as a treat rather than normality so rather Mm. than saying oh well it's oh it's evening now and we hear it don't we oh it's beer o'clock you know the the sun's over the yard arm or it's the the clock one now it's coming into the summer is going to be a big one how many people had a gin to celebrate, you know, the daylight saving and that kind of thing. But you're right, yeah. PIMS comes out, doesn't it? And, um, you know, PIMS as a company will be rubbing their hands together at this great weather because that is that is all the trigger it needs. And driving through the countryside yesterday, I saw people sitting in parks, you know, and drinking and that kind of thing for the mm. first time this year. But it might be that we're thinking of it more as a treat. So it might be that if you drink wine that you're saying, um, you know, rather than, buy this kind of six pound bottle of wine here i might buy a 12 pound bottle and i might make it stretch over two nights that might be nicer you know and i'll and i'll maybe savor the taste more because in the uk we have an issue around cheap strong alcohol and that's where that minimum unit pricing has been really useful in scotland as well is thinking about how much we spend how much of that is in our budget thinking about our health recognizing and linking those triggers to alcohol um Another really good thing to do is to track your units. So Drinkaware, their website's it's a really good website, but they've got an excellent calculator for kind of tracking units. And that might come as a real surprise, a bit like when you do a food diary, right? Mm. You know, I'm sure I'm sure you've got lots of experience doing this, but <laughs> we... Um, well, we do also track alcohol when you come into my clinic as well. And I think there's been quite a few people that come in and I've said to them, you know, over half of your consumption of energy intake is through alcohol. And it's completely thrown them. But yeah. actually, when it's put in front of you, when you see black and white how much you are intaking, then there, there's a real reality check for yourself going, you know, I, I think, it, as you said, measures are done without even realizing, bottles are being drunk, you know, and there's never really that thought process. And when I talk about having food in the house, you know, having things that are for you when you really want to enjoy and you want to save them and not, it doesn't have to be a treat because there's no demonizing of any food, but having a takeaway every day is, is not good for you, but allowing to savor that for your weekend or for your midweek, whenever you want it is really important, but not having it surrounding you. It's the same with food. Mm. You know, it's all of these things that for us give us huge amounts of pleasure, you know, because they're sweet and they're addictive and it's the same thing with certain foods, not having it in your house can really help that temptation not having wine or beer or spirits all surrounding you is going to really help that temptation. And I think something for me, which has helped personally, and it might not help other people is I found out that for me, having a glass of wine is more of a ritual. Um, And I definitely have that with tea. So for me, when I feel stressed, I actually automatically turn to a tea. And I think it's from how I was growing up and it was always tea being around and have a cup of tea and it makes you feel quite like a hug in a mug kind of thing. Yeah. And I think having that ritual, if you are cooking and you're pouring a glass of wine, maybe it's you cooking and trying an alcohol-free alternative and pouring and making the same effort that you would do to make a cocktail or putting a lime in there with a really nice mixer. You're still feeling that you're having this ritual, but it's not having the effects that alcohol will give you. And then maybe you can make a decision after that first drink, is what I say to a lot of my clients, then decide 
if you really do need that drink because you've allowed yourself that half an hour of making that ritual doing that routine and then you can actually make that informative decision of do I really need that now or is it more the ritual that I was craving that that pause is so important you know just taking that time to pause and think and we'd encourage that with with any drug from a harm reduction point of view we'd always say you know have a think about what it is if you can test it just put in your brain this kind of contemplative period where we're saying do i really want that and you're right the difference between grabbing a glass of water out the tap and putting some ice and a piece of lime in it is actually quite a big difference and it feels like you've taken some time for yourself but you're right about the um about the associations and about the fast food because this ritual you know if we think about alcohol it has about seven calories per gram so that's almost as many calories as pure fat would so if we can start thinking and analyzing our relationship with our, with the alcohol around us, with that bottle of wine on the side when we're drinking, when, when we're making dinner and that kind of thing, we can start looking at it and thinking about the empty calories, you know, which could lead to weight gain. Obviously, if we can think about, um, you know, a pint being 200 calories, which is like a large slice of pizza. Mm-hmm. So if we eat a pizza and then we go out and we have six pints, we've eaten two pizzas. So would mm-hmm. we eat two pizzas? No. So maybe then we'd change the pizza, we'd have a healthier meal, or maybe we'd have half the amount of drink. And it's really about examining the relationship that we have with alcohol and where we need it to take us or where we Mm. want it to take us or what we want to kind of put to one side or what we want to take out of our lives at that point. Because Mm -hmm. that's what it often does is it, it disassociates us with what's going on. And we've got a lot going on. You know, we have got a lot going on as, as a as a race, you know, as human <laughs> beings on the yeah. planet. Never, you know, we are all so busy. We're consuming all this information. You've only got to look at the Internet or a, a newspaper or the equivalent of one. And it and it's it's tough stuff to take in. And then we've got all our interpersonal relationships as well. So yeah. if we can start thinking about our relationship to it and thinking about our long term and those relationships. So our our children, our nieces, our nephews, you know, the people around us, our friends and our own well-being and our mental health, that we can really start moving towards being in a more positive place and having a more positive relationship with with alcohol. It's so true. Mindfulness is the key to so many things, isn't it? Food, drink, your mental health, just giving yourself some time um, is essential. And even though we've had a year of maybe working from home, I still think time is so poor for many people and we don't really take that time for ourselves. And that's that's so, so important. So I've, there's a couple more questions that I want to ask before we wrap up, but I always want to do, well, not always, I haven't done this for a while, but I felt like it was a really important one to do because I had quite a lot of questions sent to me on um, Instagram. So I thought I'm going to do a quick fire round. And what I want you to do, Nick, is basically say true or false okay <laughs> it, it might be quite hard i feel like some of you're going to be like there's definitely going to be more but as much as you can true or false yeah. okay all right let's give it a go okay true or false do you get more drunk on bubbles than spirits true so, so I'm, going go, I'm going to go true and that's because it gets absorbed into your bloodstream quicker because of the bubbles bubbles so it gets through the wall of your gut quicker and gets into your bloodstream so yeah i'm going to go true amazing okay that's good to know true or false um when you mix alcohol you get more drunk 
True. I'm going to go true. So it's harder to keep track of what you're drinking. So it's not actually about kind of, there's some things around mixing dark and white spirits and dark spirits making you feel more hungover and that kind of thing. But essentially, you lose track when you're mixing stuff together and you're drinking lots of different things. So it's way easier to get more drunk and, and just kind of lose track of what you're drinking. If you drink the same thing all day, it's much easier to kind of pace yourself and know where you're at and kind of consume that more responsibly. That makes sense because you're more, yeah, because there's new flavours every time, isn't there? Okay, yeah. alcohol. This is a really interesting one. Is this true? Alcohol makes pregnancy less likely. No, that's false. So um, the only thing that makes pregnancy less uh, likely is good contraception. <laughs> and, and, and safe sex. So, Let's hammer that home. <laughs> yeah, dr- the drugs don't work. <laughs> You can build up tolerance to alcohol. Really, really quickly. That's absolutely true. So if I was to drink, um, you know, a double of vodka today, and it was the first time I'd ever tried alcohol, I'd feel kind of uh, like a rush of blood to the face. I'd kind of start feeling some nice kind of effects from it and go, oh, tomorrow I'd probably have to have a little bit more to get the same effect. And by the end of the week, I could be drinking up to 10 units instead of one. So your tolerance to alcohol grows really, really, really quickly, which is one of the main dangers. That's really good for people to know who are consuming alcohol regularly, actually. Yeah. Okay, and lastly, if I drink water, my hangover won't be as bad. Yeah, that's true, absolutely. So um, the only way to avoid a hangover is not to drink at all, obviously, but alcohol is a diuretic, so essentially it makes you wee and and it makes you sweat out um, additional kind of moisture within your body. So you'll smell that on people when they're asleep and that kind of thing as well. But that's another reason why it interrupts, interrupts sweet sleep so it's not just the fact that you're not in REM and that you're in a deep sleep it's also the fact that you need the loo so your body is constantly telling you to offload water and it's shedding water everywhere so it dehydrates you and what happens then is the brain kind of swells slightly pushes against the inside of the skull that gives you a headache Mm. but also you're really dehydrated really really tired as well and so if you're drinking water regularly and that's a great piece of harm reduction. Try and drink, try and drink water in between alcoholic drinks and it will ease the hangover somewhat. Really good advice. And so for you, Nick, I always like to ask this question as well on every single podcast. For you, what does live well, be well mean to you? Live well, be well. I think it's about moderation. I think it's, I think it's really about, you know, that we, we are all allowed treats. We're all allowed, allowed nice things. We're, we're, we're masters of our own destiny and it's everyone's human right to put whatever they want to within their bodies. And that will all have a feeling that comes out the other side of it or impact on our mental health. But essentially for me, everything is about moderation and it's about education. So it's about really informed choices, thinking about what you're doing with your body, what you're doing with your mental health and how that affects you primarily. And then the spin-offs from that about how it affects the people that you love and care about around you. Mm. And so for anyone listening to this that, you know, wants to know more about living well, being well with support and the advice that you just said, obviously there is the charity that you work for. Would you be able to give the handles for that charity in the website as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, in terms of getting support, it's much simpler than people might think. And one of the main hurdles really is around 
that stigma and the feelings of guilt that comes with it. But um, a good first step is to look at our online advice. So um, you can go to www.wearewithyou.org.uk. We also have a free confidential web chat with trained web chat advisors where you can just have a chat with someone a bit like you would with your bank really, but you can just Mm. say, I'm worried about this or where can I go for information about that? Um, So in terms of that, we've, we, we're really easy to contact. Um, you don't have to be at rock bottom to, to access our services. So problematic alcohol use is, of course, something that we can uh, that we can help with. But it's also about kind of accessing education and helping people before they get to that. And we haven't stopped running during the pandemic, obviously. So you can have appointments via WhatsApp, via video calls. We'll we'll come and meet you now that those restrictions are kind of going down so it's really easy to get in touch with someone and and please don't think of it as you accessing treatment or that there's something wrong with you or that you're ill necessarily it's about education it's about having someone support you in why you're making the choices that you're making or or to to get to abstinence or to just reduce the harm as much as possible I think that's fantastic that people now know that they can go and head to somebody like your organization for this, because I think at the BYU we embody the same thing. You shouldn't feel worried or afraid. Every single person needs support and it could be on many different measures, but knowing their support there is not a sign of weakness. I actually say it's a sign of strength. Um, So allowing people to support you, I think, is one of the most important things. And you do fantastic work and everything that you do. So thank you for sharing all of your information and expertise today with our listeners. Thanks so much for having me on. There's loads that we didn't talk about and could talk about. But I think um, I think absolutely just kind of you know go to alcohol aware go to drink aware um, get in touch with us and just have the conversations which are pertinent to you because it's so important but thanks so much I've had, I've had a really good time cheers thanks Nick thank you so much for listening to live well be well I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that episode and if you did please do leave a five star review it means a lot to me and also helps share the episode widely to more people until next week i hope you all live well and be well before you go i have something new to tell you about there's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest i speak to These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.